Thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Joining me today on the podcast is Matt McCalla, the president and CEO at Life Image. Matt, how are you today? I'm doing great, Jared. Thanks. Appreciate you spending a few time, a few minutes with me today. Absolutely. I'm excited for us to chat, and I think we should dive right into it. I'd love if you could tell the audience a little bit about your background, and then we'll dive into more about Life Image and some of the key questions we wanted to go through today. Sure. So uh, I, I'm an old healthcare guy. I've been, uh, unfortunately, I have to say, you know, uh, almost 40 years now uh, in healthcare, a whole variety of roles, right? So I've worked in the big payer world for insurance companies. I've worked in the pharmaceutical and life science space. I've worked in the technology space. I've worked internationally. I've started, uh, you know, built and sold four of my own uh, healthcare companies. Uh, and uh, for the last handful of years, I've been working as the president and CEO of Life Image which is the world's largest, right? Medical image exchange company, right? We more, if I really use the language, right? Healthcare, we're, we're a company focused on interoperability and provisioning medical evidence, right? Um, for where it's needed, right? In non-clinical, non-technical terms, right? Basically our job is to get medical data, right? Imaging and other types of medical information from where it's born or where it lives, right? In a hospital, in a database somewhere into the hands of someone that can use it for diagnosis, for treatment, for research, right? For all the purposes ultimately you would need, right? And Life Image is about 15 years old as a company and has, uh, and, and it's a software solution that's utilized by 19 of the top 20 uh, medical institutions in the United States today and about 10,000 or so uh, medical facilities in the US today. So it's a very, very large uh, network focused on, you know, connecting data to people. Wow, you're, you're really all over the uh, all over the place. Um, it's uh, a couple of the things that we really wanted to go through today. Thank you for that intro too, and, and telling us a little bit more about Life Image for those who haven't heard of the company. A few of the big focus areas that we wanted to go through today was one of the big questions being how to improve data sharing practices across a healthcare organization. So I wanna ask you that, and then we'll dive more into um, like ONC federal, like information blocking rules and some of those other standards um, as we go through this. But I wanna start off with that question, hear your response, and we'll go into these other questions here today as well. Sure. So in general, when we think about healthcare data, right, just for broad context, right, uh, healthcare data is a really, really valuable asset if you're a healthcare organization, uh, whether you're conducting research or you're working with patients, right? Um, it describes, right, the evidence of what uh, is going on with your disease and your progression. So historically, right, uh, the focus of organizations that, you know, creates technology, right, to measure healthcare things, whether it's somebody measuring, you know, a component in your blood, or it's somebody that's taking a picture of your lungs, et cetera. That you know, science of how do I get, get that diagnostic data out as an example, or even a physician's notes of this is what I think is going on with you and what your background is, right? Is data where the organizations that collect that are way more concerned, right, about what they can do with the data than they are about making that data available to other people, right? And so the science and the technology, if we want to be kind of kind to it, kind to the industry, is something that has always taken precedent over making data available to somebody that's not you, right, uh, here across the board. And then coupling that, right, we have this legacy of these patient privacy laws and predominantly, you know, HIPAA, which we're instructed to help 
protect privacy of healthcare data, but ultimately, right, transformed into a place that created then justified barriers for sharing data more broadly, right, which frankly raises the cost of the healthcare system to everybody and creates medical errors and problems for patients, but it was used really to build an infrastructure that created these walls and barriers. So we had a coupling of, kind of technology challenges, companies who, you know, who invent fantastic science, but are not concerned about making sure data is available uh, here. And then kind of federal legislation says, you better be really, really careful. And so that evolved over decades to a place, right? Where data sits in all of these disparate silos and is protected and controlled and owned. And a patient doesn't actually technically even own their own data. And I know for, you know, for consumers uh, and patients that can blow your mind, right? Of, I go to the doctor, they take a test, they take a picture or an image for me, and it's not my data? Well, no, by law, it's actually not, it's their data. And they can sell it, they can transform it, they can do research with it, they can do all sorts of things, as long as they don't violate federal law. And you can get it if you request it, and it can be shared with you, but it's actually not yours to own, right? And so uh, what's going on here is the federal government, right, stepped in, right, a handful of years ago to pass legislation, which was bipartisan legislation, that basically said, no, no, we're going to turn this thing on its head, right? Healthcare in the future, right, needs to be far different than in the past. And we're never going to solve a cost problem or a quality problem. We're not going to be able to advance research and clinical, you know, innovation in the way that we need to, because it's incredibly slow. If it takes you 14 years to develop a drug, right, frankly, 75% of that may just be the data piece. I can't get patients. I can't find out what happened with the patients. I can't get the records, right? It's an amazingly cost extensive kind of burden and process that we all bear by higher healthcare costs. And the federal government said, no, we're not gonna do that. What we are gonna do, right, is we're gonna force data sharing. And we know that there's a technology problem. So we're gonna make all healthcare technology vendors use a single healthcare standard, right? If you're an IT person, it's called FHIR. And basically, it's a way for different software programs to connect to each other and exchange data uh, here. And so they said, everybody's going to have to comply with that standard. But they did something that was actually fundamentally more important here. And what they did was they said, the patient really is the center of the universe. And as providers, right, we understand your key role in providing healthcare and your experience and your training and your judgment that's so fundamental, right, to everything. But when it comes to data, the data has to be provided back to the patient. And you need to do it quickly and easily without tons of paperwork, uh, without making them jump through hoops, without excessive cost, without making them spend a lot of money on new technology as a consumer. And you have to give them you know, data that allows them to understand what's going on, seek care from other providers, make wise choices about what healthcare costs to them and what it works uh, moves forward. So we've now embarked upon this new technology data medical infrastructure, right? Again, promulgated by these you know, federal laws and these new rules, right? That the ONC has put together that says the patient's the center of the world. And over time, this rising consumerism, right? Every other industry but healthcare, consumers have their data, can make their choices, it's theirs. They can use it, they can own it, they can share it, they can pair shop, right? They combine it with other things. You can understand it, right? Not in healthcare. And so we're gonna change that. We're gonna make that you know, move forward. And so the, you know, so how we improve these data sharing things, right, is, again, understanding conceptually that the patient is the center of the universe, needs to be, never has been in healthcare, regardless of what we had, you know, we say to each other, uh, but it has to be, 
put the patient in the center, they, their data is liquid and it's theirs. We have to give them to them easily, right? And if we can make data, break down those barriers and make it, right, more accessible to everybody with the proper consents, right, uh, in place, then we will see, right, faster innovation, lower cost innovation, lower health care, and a bigger role consumers can pay, which ultimately make healthcare more competitive, you know, in the United States, which will help us all uh, here across the board. So I know I went on a little bit there, Jared. No, that was perfect. And whenever, some, whenever someone's in a groove, <laughs> I don't stop them because it's gold, right? That's that's something great that we can clip and we can put together some additional pieces of content off of that. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, thank yeah. you for sharing. I, I do have another question in terms of these, uh, some of the rules that you're talking about. And it, it seems like those were put in place for, for both the organization, but also the patient's best interest in, in mind, right? We want to make sure that um, it, I, I feel like that's still a, a mis what you've said about, you know, like that's their data. I, I feel like to the general public that there's still a misconception of that, right? Like you always hear like, um, why can't I constantly have my information whenever I want it right now? And the way that you explained it is probably one of the, the best explanations I've heard in terms of like whose information it is and why is it their information and what can they do with it? Um, and I think a lot of people think that they can kind of sell and do whatever they want with your data. And there's, there are certain rules, right. That, that you're allowed to interact with. Um, I want to go into the people that break these rules okay. a little bit. Why and how have organizations violated some of these rules that you, you right. mentioned? So um, we talk about the rules, right? They were uh, basically put in place after all, after several years of evaluation and public comments and all the things that governments normally do, and our government, I should suggest, normally does, right? To try to get the best outcome possible, right? In April of 2020, right? So they, and what basically, the, again, those rules said, was number one, the patient's at the center and they have real rights and you have to respect those and you have to not create you know, barriers or additional costs for them. Number two, you have to use a standard technology interface so that you know, my Android can connect to my iPhone and get iMessages, right? That my EHR right, can connect to an iPhone right, down the road if they need to. That an application right, for a brand new innovative healthcare IT company uh, that wants to focus on behavioral health or mental health, right, can connect to you standardly. So that they establish a technology standard, which is really, really important. Because technology has been used as an excuse, right, for not sharing data historically here, you know, across the board. Then what the rules basically said was, and if you don't enforce the, if you don't do these things, there will be penalties. And these penalties will be financial and they will be substantial. Now, there's still some hemming and hawing about what those penalties will be. How are they applied? What really is fair and isn't fair? What's kind of a best effort in order to try to get there when you have some organizational barriers or if you don't have the money to comply and you know, what does that mean? So some of that still has to be sorted out and much of this was delayed because of the pandemic, right? The rules, the institution of the rules and the institution of the penalty compliance, right? Piece of this were delayed, but they're coming on now and it's gonna be right in front of folks. And we can anticipate that the penalties for data blocking, for information blocking, not giving it to patients or providers when they need it is going to be quite substantial, right? Especially for large providers that might be seeing tens of thousands of patients or hundreds of thousands of patients over a year, right? A penalty of a few thousand dollars a patient, right? All of a sudden starts to get huge. So folks are going to start paying attention to this, right? I think uh, pretty soon, not that they're not paying attention now, we do have folks that aren't complying, right? Uh, here across the board, mostly, the reason now that folks aren't complying, if you had asked me, you know, 
30 years ago when I was writing about interoperability or even 10 years ago, I'd say a lot of the non-compliance is because providers don't want to do it. It's an extra task. It's an administrative task. It has cost. And culturally, and I'll say historically, right, systems were set up and providers were trained to recognize that they're the ones that went to school. They're the ones that understand the science. They're the ones that understand the data. Your, their judgment around the medical issues is frankly superior, right, to the medical judgment of a patient that hasn't been trained. So they don't need to see the data. I can see it and serve it, on, interpret it, give it to them, share it with them. I'll tell them what they should do, make them recommendations. If they don't like it, go to another doc who also isn't going to share their data with them in detail, but is going to provide that judgment, right? And so we've trained, right, folks historically to do that. And so there was no effort, right, really to put forward to make this happen. And that's kind of why healthcare sits as the last bastion of anti-consumerism, right, uh, here uh, that the federal government is going to, uh, to try to help us here. The other last kind of component was they decided what data needed to be shared, because that's a very complicated question. In healthcare, there are millions of types of data that's out there. You know, even in like imaging, right, which is a particular specialty, right, of ours at Life Image, right, there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of different types of imaging and imaging types. Even though we enforced 20 years ago a relatively consistent standard for imaging, every organization, every manufacturer does something slightly different to tweak it to make it, you know, um, theirs for useful purposes. And so uh, when we think about that and think about every experience that a patient can have in the healthcare system, there's millions of types of data. So the federal government had to come in and say, what's the basic set? And they created a data set and said, these are the data elements, right? As you would need to do in a technology world, you know, and the things like, a, you know, a patient's, you know, obviously it's their date of birth and their gender. It's so what's their allergy history? What's the medications they've taken and the medication history? It's what diagnosis do they have? Have they been treated? Physician notes about that that sit in the system not the actual kind of, you know, uh, the, you know, the results of pathology that's been done or genetic testing or, uh, or radiology. And so it's a pretty comprehensive set. Although if you look at it from healthcare, right, it's 1% of everything that exists, but it's that 1% that affects 99% of, you know, healthcare delivery. So it's pretty important. And that data becomes available over time. That data set's going to increase over time, right? So as an example, this very first set of data doesn't include the actual pathology images, doesn't include the actual uh, you know, radiology images itself. Those are really challenging types of data to handle and the industry isn't quite ready. I say that knowing that we've been doing that for 15 years and for tens of, you know, tens of thousands of facilities here on across the globe, but as an industry, we're not quite ready yet to do that, but it will come and evolve. And the idea here is that data will become more liquid, more liquid and kind of more comprehensive here. But to your core question of why people aren't, you know, in complying, well, number one is there haven't been penalties yet because they've been, uh, they've been delayed because of the pandemic. And once those start, it will increase awareness. We have unfortunately a significant portion of, you know, of folks who work in healthcare organizations that aren't, haven't been trained or educated on this yet. And it takes a long time for adoption in healthcare, right? We're used to years and years and years. I mean, my God, we're still using fax machines. It's like, I mean, it's shocking, right? We still have, even though Life Image is the largest network has been helping digitally transfer medical imaging, right, for a decade and a half, about a third, right, of all providers that deal with imaging still only do it, right, with physical CDs, right, which is costly and delays and it's a, it's a mess, right? But it takes a long time in healthcare. So when you talk about promulgating fairly complicated new technology rules and practices and changing behavior, it takes a while. And, you know, we found, right, in some work that we had done, right, that there's still a significant portion 
of people in healthcare who don't understand still the concept of information blocking. They haven't don't figure out that the federal government has now said patients actually have a real role here and you have to work with them and satisfy their needs, right? Or there will be consequences. So we got an educational component. We got a very serious cultural component, right? Because again, we've not trained people in the medical profession, right? And we haven't set up in the bureaucracy of healthcare organizations, a culture where consumers are the center and they have actual authority, right? I go in to see the physician and it's 2021. I go in for an appointment. I sit in the waiting room. I wait 30 minutes for the physician to free up because something happened to his or her kind of day uh, here. Um, and their job, right, is to make sure that inside the practice that the physician is most effective, get the most visits in a day, to apply their knowledge in the most efficient way possible. And patients are widgets in that, right? And the 30 minutes I had to wait in the office is slightly inconvenient, but it's not like it was a physician sitting around 30 minutes waiting as a precious resource. So they don't see consumers yet as an industry-wide, as a precious resource. Again, don't have the information, can't shop. There's a lot of barriers for that. This is intending to change that. So culturally, organizations have to educate themselves uh, about what this really means, that a patient is not just a nameless illness, a diagnosis here, but it's somebody that can pick up and go somewhere else because now they have the data and access to do it. They can get care remotely if they have to. And if you don't cooperate with them, they can call the ONC and get you fined, right? So it's a cultural issue. The technology itself will always drag, but technology is pretty resilient now. We've had enough time for most of the major healthcare IT vendors to comply, right? The federal government basically financed the entire industry's conversion to electronic health records with billions and billions and billions of dollars of investment into the private sector over pretty much two decades. So every institution has an EHR that fundamentally can transfer this data inside their own institution. Is it expensive? Sure. Is it burdensome? Sure. Do they have to have big IT staffs to do it? Sure. But it's embedded now. So now it's a question of getting folks to comply with a single standard, which again has been regulated now, um, and then starting to educate themselves that they have to do it. Because most cases of noncompliance is a lack of awareness, right? Uh, a lack of understanding, and then a lack of appreciation uh, that they actually have to do it. And I would link those three things before I get to the technology. The technology has always historically been used as the scapegoat of, well, my software won't do it. So drive 45 minutes in, fill out these 19 consent forms, go to four places inside my hospital. I know you want your medical record, but I'll give you these two pieces of paper, not the 500 I have in my system. Uh, and here's a CD, which by the way, is corrupt. So I'll see you again in 10 days when you figure that out, right? Those era will hopefully be in the rearview mirror, um, you know, um, down the road. Um, it will take a while to adopt, but we're moving in the right direction finally. Well, it'll be interesting to see how, how things continue to progress. Um, it'll be interesting to see, hear more information too regarding what type of fines uh, companies will be looking at if they aren't complying. Um, and then it's always interesting to see like what, what the biggest fine ends up being, because you know someone eventually is going to have some massive uh, fine. It's uh, no matter how many rules are in place, right? Something always gets broken at some point by some party. Uh, and that's kind of the person they make uh, or organization they make an example out of, right? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, you know, and again, I don't think that the regulators are, you know, out to punish, you know, providers operating in goodwill. But we've got a pretty big provide, you know, pretty big system here in the United States. And there are always a portion of folks that don't provide, do the best effort, right? And it's goodwill. 
And it will take probably a few big fines that will be there um, that will probably be generated by complaints from consumers, right? Quite honestly. And when consumers start to understand and get educated, they can call an 800 number and they can send an email and that the government will follow up, right? Um, I think that will be an important piece. We, in the industry, we always talk about the carrots and the sticks right here. And, you know, people hate to talk about the stick with compliance and it does it work and it creates barriers and resistance. And that's true, right? But when you're dealing with a bureaucracy that manages risk, right? So much of healthcare is set up to manage risk, litigation risk, right? From attorneys, right? It's also set up to manage regulatory risk. Nobody wants to be shut down. Nobody wants to stop Medicare paying them, right? Nobody wants to, you know, get millions of dollars of fines. Um, you know, I, I suspect those things will be coming uh, here. And, um, you know, if it follows the same evolution that we've had with healthcare regulation in the past, right, there'll be a few warning shots, there'll be a few really big cases, and then somebody will respond and say, wow, right, uh, we, we really better get our act together because the consequence of paying millions of dollars when I don't have it is, uh, you know, is far less than putting in place what we need to do. Um, we'll see. Healthcare is hard. We, we, as an industry, we resist lots of change all the time. In an industry that's built on innovation, the greatest science of the world and the health, greatest healthcare delivery you know, possibilities in the planet, right? Um, boy, you know, as an industry, we don't like to change. That's for sure. That's for sure. Well, Matt, I want to thank you again for being a guest on, on the podcast. Hopefully we can have you on again sometime. We can go into some other topics, but I appreciate you coming on the podcast today and going through a few of the questions we laid out. Uh, wish you and, and Life Image all the best and uh, can't wait to connect again soon. Thanks, Jared. Really appreciate the time. It was fun. Thank you. Thank you to everyone that listened to this week's episode of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts. We're available on all the major podcast channels. And you can check us out on our website, www.sliceofhealthcare.com. And that'll have all of our past guests on there. Uh, you can see our sponsors and you can learn more about actually becoming a guest. Thanks and look forward to another episode next week.